3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey I'm Kramer! Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to I If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When the global economy is slowing, what do you do? It's easy. If you're a portfolio manager, you know exactly what you do. You go buy the cloud stocks. Buy, 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 buy. You pick up some software as a service companies, and then you sell everything else. This was a good day for the averages, with the Dow gaining 174 points, S&P advancing 0.73%, NASDAQ climbing 1.13%, but it was the surging cloud stocks that led the market higher. A move like this doesn't start with people waking up this morning and saying, you know what, I feel like buying some growth today. It starts when money managers are stuck by the lack of worldwide growth, and they default to growth. In this case, the culprit is the coronavirus outbreak, which has slammed the brakes on China, the most important growth economy on Earth. President Trump has worked hard to get American companies to stop sourcing their products from China, and he's had some success. Nevertheless, we still rely on China for all sorts of goods, from rare earth minerals, medicines, to things like buttons, trim, clothing. The Chinese have spent the last 40 years taking share in manufacturing, or some people say wiping out our manufacturing. So now that huge chunks of People's Republic are in lockdown, I think there are going to be some real shortages. More important, China is Europe's largest trading partner. Tons of European exports end up in the Chinese market, and and suddenly that's a Big vulnerability. While China's growth has been slowing for years, it was slowing very gradually. They had 6.1% GDP growth last year, which is the kind of number that developed countries would kill for. With the coronavirus, China's GDP growth is about to hit a wall. Been in their factories are still offline after extended post-Chinese New Year vacation. Most companies that import from China tend to take down a lot of inventory ahead of their New Year so they don't run out of stuff. And that's why I don't expect them to be hurt immediately. We won't know how bad things are for maybe another week or two, or maybe not until the month of March. But I do think we'll have real sourcing problems, and that could drive up prices if this pandemic has stopped. The next clue to buy ultra-growth? Oil. The price of crude is very sensitive to worldwide demand, especially Chinese demand. If China's economy grinds to a halt, you'd expect oil to be down. And sure enough, there's West Texas crude plunging below $50 a barrel, plus the longer-term demand for oil, often driven, by the way, by airlines locking in prices. That is slacking, too. Now, most money managers don't spend as much time talking to industrialists and retailers and oil people as I do. But they don't have to. You know why? Because these money managers can take their cue from the bond market. And when they look at the bond market, the relentless decline in interest rates tells them they need to worry about a slowdown. And that's why they're switching stocks stocks can put up terrific numbers, even in a weaker worldwide economy. How do we find them? Well, at this point, we've just gotten through the bulk of earnings season, so portfolio managers can take stock of the fastest growth trends that they saw during earnings season. Incredible. You know what? There's only one, only one theme that's resonating. One! And that's the cloud. Okay, it makes sense. The software-as-a-service companies had a bountiful quarter, and this is a uniquely American industry, very little, up to almost no exposure to China. They are born in the USA, although it's hard to imagine Bruce Springsteen crooning about them anytime soon. What makes this group so enticing? First, we actually saw an acceleration in the cloud this quarter. Not many companies saw an acceleration in their revenues. Now, initially, I didn't believe it. So when Microsoft reported an incredibly strong number for Azure, their cloud division, it was an acceleration to 62%, many hedge funds, well, they figured they were simply taking share from Amazon Web Services, which is number one. Nope, not at all. Amazon Web Services blew away Wall Street estimates, too, and their margins expanded, even if their growth slowed slightly. But that was really slack, uh, the law of large numbers speaking. You don't see margin expansion when there's fierce competition, though, and that's why Amazon stock has caught fire since they reported. Have you seen that stock? I mean, honestly, since they reported, have you seen it? Now, I know the output quarter was greeted like a bomb went off, but it turns out their Google Cloud business generated some excellent numbers. That's why the stocks come all the way back. Opco published a terrific piece, terrific piece, where they estimate that Google Cloud grew at a 67% clip last year, faster than Azure, making it the fastest growing of the big three cloud infrastructure providers. New leadership in the form of an old Oracle star, the dazzling Thomas Kurian, has brought in a huge number of $50 million deals, doubling year over year. That's impressive. Opco points out that Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet aren't really competing on price because they each have different strengths. Amazon's competing with depth of product. Microsoft with hybrid. Google with artificial intelligence and machine learning. In fact, what they're really competing on is capacity because the demand for data centers keeps exceeding the supply. And that's why portfolio managers bid up the two companies that make the nuts and bolts of the data center, AMD and NVIDIA. Now, remember how AMD's quarter was supposedly disappointing? I told you to buy it. Well, guess what? Now the stock's above where it was trading before it reported a simple bad quarter. As for NVIDIA, what can I say? They report this week and their whole product line is in strong demand. Now, when it comes to the cloud and AMD, NVIDIA, well, those two are vicious competitors. But with this kind of demand, who cares? There's enough business to go around. Meanwhile, the cloud theme is so strong that it's totally overshadowed Amazon's retail business, Alphabet's search business, and Microsoft's Windows business. Now, you might think that's the tail wagging the dog, but you'd be wrong. I think it's the future dog wagging the past tail because eventually these legacy businesses will be eclipsed by cloud infrastructure in all three titans. Who else wins? When we think of the cloud, we think of software as a service. That means we think of ServiceNow. Oh, man, did you see that? That's Bill McDermott's coming. Adobe, Shantanu and Orion. I mean, it's on for Workday. Anil Bushry, VMware. We always have Sanjay Putin on. Twilio, okay, not that great a quarter, but the stock's going back up. Splunk, Salesforce. Our cloud kings, not to mention the cloud princesses. There's Koopa, HubSpot, Kramer Family Fave Octa, and Atlassian symbol team. Our only dud from that group was New Relic, which has experienced a meaningful slowdown. So I'm stripping New Relic out of its princely title and handing it over to Alderix! Yeah, one of our favorites is taking share from Microsoft Excel. A Y X. That, that that's don't look at that stock, it'll blind your eyes. Of course, we don't know how long this newfound love will last. If China manages to contain the coronavirus. You can expect money to rotate right back out of these names and into more cyclical stocks, including the semiconductor names with major China exposure that have been bombs today. We could also see some weakness if the investment banks start pumping out more cloud stocks. There are always more waiting in the wings, but We got some good news there. I think the stink of Casper, the unfriendly IPO, down almost two bucks from where it came public last week, could keep a lid on new deals for the moment. Even if I know that's a mattress company. By the way, that's been a terrible industry. You know what's not very firm? Mattress firm. The bottom line, sometimes stocks fit a theme so perfectly that they can ignite the averages without any other companies really doing anything at all. And that's what happened today. If you own them, don't get too greedy. You might want to ring the registry a wee bit. But you definitely got to hold on to something. I want to go to Marvin in New York. Marvin!
4: Yeah, good evening, Jim. I've been, I've been watching the show for about 10 years. My question is on CBS uh, Viacom. To me, it seems like it's very undervalued. Uh, I mean, because they earn uh, $7.76
3: the right. and the PE and is 4 dollars four. 4004? And the PE is four forty seven, and uh, they pay a dividend at two seventy seven, and the market cap is twenty one billion. Netflix is going to spend eighteen billion on content. Aren't they better off just buying? Martin, well, buy I've got to CBS? tell you, I made that argument. I talk a lot about my winners and words, and we have known Microsoft, we have known Amazon, we have known Alphabet. One of my biggest losers is Viacom, and I'm not proud of that. I want to describe what I said last week on my conference call. It gets me so angry. I screwed up on this. I believed in the company. It is too cheap to sell. It sells at the lowest multiple of any stock I follow in the s 500. But I was wrong. I got it wrong. I believe that I'm wrong. And that's wrong, wrong, wrong. Not early. Wrong. So I've got to tell you, all the things you said are true. It's what drew me to it. But I am wearing the Viacom post-it. And if we had gaffer tape, I'd put it on right now. V I A C, right here. I got a lot of real estate there. Wren in Missouri, Wren. Hey, Jim, happy Ren. Medicare age birthday. Well, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, hey, I mean, I mean Part good to get B under. is different from Part D. I've been working on that. They got, where's Part C? And I guess I get A, and I give up my good. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's a mixed blessing, this Medicare. I'm working on it, though. What's up? It's good to see you
4: got your sleeves rolled up, ready to go to work for the little guy. Thank you, man. I'm calling callin about a security that should not be affected by the coronavirus. Their last report beat earnings and sales estimates. They also continuously raise their dividend, but the stock has been on a tear lately. Market excess, MKTX, what do you think?
3: Well, as my friend Michael Haley would say, winner, winner, chicken dinner. You want to own that stock, believe me. I think it is definitely a winner. All right, the cloud stocks are winning, but don't be greedy. If you own some, you may want to ring the register on part Not all, but part of your position. But please, hold on to something. There. Now, does that tell you the truth about Viacom? My crack staff knows exactly how to make me look good. On Man Money tonight, does Take-Two Interactive still have game in this market? I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to see what's ahead for the company. And Uber's on the road to profitability. So could this be your ticket to ride? I'm the company at this recent rally. And what should your next move be when it comes to the fossil fuels in this market? I'm giving my take. You know what? You're never too old to eat your word. Gary, let's pray.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to
0: madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more.
3: What in the world just happened to the stock of Take-Two Interactive software, one of my favorite names in the video game space for years? You know them as Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption 2, all the 2K sports titles, Borderlands 3, the Outer Worlds. Take-Two has some amazing franchises. Yet last Thursday night, the company reported what was widely viewed as a disappointing quarter which sent the stock plunging nearly 12% on Friday. Even though they delivered a top- and bottom-line beat with solid full-year guidance, okay, there were a couple of negatives. Take-Two's net bookings came in ever so slightly weaker than expected, thanks to soft performance from NBA 2K and WWE 2K, which, by the way, they called out because this is an amazingly transparent company. They called out. Still, management wasn't able to give us enough color about the coming year to get investors excited about the future. For that, I can't blame them. So, is this a buying opportunity with the stock down from 127 to 111? Or do we need to be more cautious? Let's check in with Strauss Zelnik, the chairman and CEO of Take Two Interactive Software, get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Zelnik, welcome back to May Money. Good to see you, Strauss. Jim, thank you, see, you. for having me. Well, first, I've got to congratulate you, and I don't mean to be backhanded or anything, but a lot of companies, they'll tell you that they didn't miss anything, and they did. I'm reading, I'm listening to conference call, you were the one who told me, wait a second, we didn't do as, we didn't, we're up to snuff, we're not happy with ourselves. So can you improve it?
1: I think we can. You know, I think that there is a lot of good news in the quarter. It's mostly good news in the quarter. (laughs) And After all, we guided up twice during the year, and we landed right in the middle of our guidance. I think the market's gotten very used to us beating (laughs) beating consensus, beating guidance, and here we're right in the middle. Most of the news is great. And one of the things that was actually lost is Grand Theft Auto Online is now expected to have another record year, more than six years after its initial release. Borderlands 3 is sold in 8 million units. NBA 2K is pacing ahead of NBA 2K19 last year in terms of units sold. Red Dead Redemption 2 has sold 29 million units. Grand Theft Auto 5 is now up to 120 million units. So let's talk about the softness. Okay. There are two... Take it head two, on, because that's two, what people did talk right, about there are so the two spots that where we think we can do better. The first is people are very accustomed to only great news coming out of the NBA 2K franchise. And we said we don't expect to set a record this year. We expect to do great but not set a record. Why? We made changes in the in-game economy which meant the recurrent consumer spending won't be quite as high as we expected. We still have great engagement. In fact, the My Team mode is up 35% in engagement and it's an immensely profitable title. We won't expect to set a record. The bleak spot, albeit rather small for our business, was WWE 2K20, where we really missed on quality and we therefore missed on sales. But
3: Strauss, I've got to tell you, I was on the WWE conference call for the actual company and they fired a guy who has been on the show. My thought was a pretty good guy. I got the sense that there's something very negative going on in the company right now. Can that impact you?
1: We have to take responsibility for what we do. The truth is it's a great brand. It's growing where it should be growing. We have a great relationship with them our game was not up to measure. It was not good enough. But you and never released they a games that are not
3: up to measure. That's one of the things you pride yourself on.
1: Yes, and in fact, the most disappointing thing is we made a decision, and therefore I made the decision to bring the development in-house, and everyone expected higher quality this year, and our, our scores were actually down. So we have more work to do.
3: All right. Now, uh, there was a departure, uh, and it happened to have started in the spring. We didn't know it was Dan Hauser. Now, a lot of people... This is Rockstar. A lot of people love this man and think he is the creative genius behind Rock, but behind, great, geez, Grand Theft. You made the point that his brother's still there, but you did not answer the question about whether he was
1: the creative genius. So, well, first of all, we're so blessed. We have so many creative geniuses. And as you know, we always describe the team. Sam Hauser founded Rockstar Games over 20 years ago. He's been with the company ever since. He's president of the label Dan was vice president of creative, and he's been on an extended leave since last spring. And he's decided to move on, and we wish him well. Okay, And, he, and we, we really value his contributions. There are more than 2,000 members of the Rockstar team. Okay, that's and important. So, so we really believe it's a team sport, and Sam Hauser is a great player coach.
3: All right. I'm and the to... results
1: are incredible. Now, yeah. being able to say, look, we're going to set another record for Grand Theft Auto Online this year. All
3: right, now let's talk about some of the things that can really go right. I, we're close to Jensen Monk. Uh, When Jen Simone wishes you happy birthday, you're kind of like, holy (laughs) cow. Not that that anybody else have you wishes. But uh, he showed me Ray Tracing. He showed me what they have. Uh, There's no difference between an actual movie, which is the world you're from, and this world that you're also from, which is video games. Now, you're able to assess
1: this. Is this not the quantum leap that we've all been waiting for? I think you're going to see with the new console generation coming out from both Microsoft and Sony in the next holiday season, it is a big leap forward that is due to all different kinds of technological advances not just ray tracing, right. and I think we're going to have an even bigger and broader and better canvas on which to paint. Do you think it's going to be like 4G to 5G, that kind of thing? Always hard to say. After all, right. we don't even know what the real right. expression of 5G is either. True. I do think it's going to be a big step forward, and our developers are very excited about what they can bring to the screen.
3: All right. Now, let me kind of oddball, Um There's a new, of course, unfortunate stay-at-home move. Uh, China could come here, unfortunately, because of corona. Plays to Take-Two's hands, doesn't it? I know you don't want to. I know. You, I, want to you know, I waffle waffled and ask you that because I know it puts you in an awkward position. But let's put it this way. People,
1: anything, how about this? Anything that causes more people to stay at home is good for take two. Well, I'm gonna, I'll probably let you say those words. My own view is, you know, we, we would never want to benefit in no, any I way know. from someone else's discomfort or But you see or why I had to ask. I, it's, I do, it's do what think I'm thinking. it's hard, actually hard to know. You know, in, when I was in the movie business, if we had a bad opening, people would say it was a weather And if we had a good opening, they would not claim it was the weather. So I'm not sure, actually. Okay, how about this? Let's do a different one. Oscars were down 20% this year. Good for take two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in fact, yes. I mean, we're in the fastest-growing business in the entertainment industry, and we expect that to continue. Now, as we just said, I've said this before on good days. On less good days, I'll also say it. We have to execute. We mostly executed in this past quarter. Not across well, the board. We have more to do.
3: I've followed you for years, and if you say you're going to that you're not happy with your performance, that's when you buy the stock because you don't find that kind of underperformance acceptable.
1: No, I, I certainly don't.
3: Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Strauss. Thanks. Thanks. That's Strauss Zelnick. He's chairman, CEO of Take Two Interactive. You've only had a couple of breakdowns in this stock. Every one of them has been followed by a breakout quarter. Man, money's back after the break. Thanks, Daniel. Next time you start worrying that a company can't change its stripes, just look at Uber. When this thing came public last spring, management seemed unconcerned with profitability. Their game plan was to keep losing money in order to take market share. But fast growing companies with no earnings swiftly fell out of favor on the Wall Street Fashion Show, and Uber stock spent the summer getting hammered. That's when management did something remarkable they changed course. They've done it in record time. Suddenly, Uber cares about profitability. In fact, they expect to turn a profit literally by the end of the year. And that's why the stock surged 9.5% on Friday. What a move. I went positive on Uber in late November. Okay? Why? Well, it was still back at 29. I don't have 40. I think it's got more room to run. Let me tell you why I turned positive. Because the company sure made it easy on me. First, the turn has been in the works for a while now, and last week's fantastic results, we learned that the turn is working even better than we expected. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi has gotten aggressive about exiting markets where the company's losing too much money. That's what we learned. In December, he put Uber Eats' India business up for sale. I wish he'd sell the whole darn thing, because online food is Delivery is a tough industry. Last month, we learned that he would sold it to Zomato, one of the largest food apps in India. This is structured a lot like Uber's past deals, where they sell their far-flung operations in exchange for a stake in the combined entity. When they sold their Chinese business to Didi Shushin in 2016, they got a 20% stake in Didi, which is China's ride-sharing kingpin. When they sold their Southeast Asian business to Grab in 2018, they got a 27.5% stake. Basically, Uber keeps dropping money, losing businesses and exchanging them for ownership stakes in market leaders. And by the way, leaders that they have a hand in creating because they move out of the market. When you take a step back and look at all these moves as a, as a whole, Uber st- suddenly just, you know, but also steadily become a more domestically focused business with a portfolio of international holdings It feels a lot like some others that we like, well, one that we like, IIC Interactive, or SoftBank, which we don't like now, but did like a one time. In the long run, I think these overseas bets could be huge winners, like when Yahoo took a small stake in Alibaba. And then remember how that ended up? Wow. More importantly, though, in the short term, they're paring back expensive money losers to focus on profitability. Meanwhile, it doesn't hurt that there were hearing rumors of consolidation the domestic food delivery space. Uber Eats has been a black hole for these guys, but it might be a lot more valuable to say Grubhub merges with DoorDash. That's uh, natural competitors. Uh, Of course, Grubhub's denied the possibility. They did it again last week. But these stories gave Uber stock a major boost. Now, so going into the quarter last week, there had already been meaningful improvement. We just didn't know how meaningful. When Uber reported on Thursday night, the company did, you know what it did? It really did. I hate to use this overused cliche, but it did shoot the lights out. They delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, revenue up 37% year-over-year, a market acceleration for the previous quarter, along with more than expected loss. Gross bookings increased by 28%. Margins improved dramatically. You know how much that that means to us? it means like the competition is probably dropping a little bit. It's getting less competitive. Monthly average platform consumers, meaning users, they were up 22%. Even better on the conference call. Dara Shahi told us exactly what we wanted to hear. First, the ride-sharing business is profitable. It raked in $742 million in earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, or EBITDA. Uber's having a lot of success overseas, and their attempts to differentiate between high-end and low-end services are paying off big time. Second, while Uber is still a money loser as they try to become the number one or number two player in all the markets, Shahi also said, we'll continue to follow the ride's playbook, focusing on turning the dial toward healthy growth Market leadership and margin expansion, significantly curtailing losses throughout the year. That's what we wanted. And some of these businesses are very profitable. We just wanted to get out of the ones that aren't. He added that this current quarter should be the period of peak investment for each business. We always love the year peak investment, meaning spending will soon go down. Basically, they're going to keep investing to compete in the markets where they think they can win. But it looks like they'll bail on markets where they're losing, which is exactly what I was pleading with when they reported uh, before. Third and most important, Dara dropped a bombshell, telling us that Uber was targeting positive earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization by the fourth quarter of this year. Can you imagine the year-over-year contrast between they were losing money and maybe even making money? This could be incredible how they get there. Better execution. As he said on the call, I'm going to quote here, it's important to emphasize that we plan to achieve this profitability target assuming only modest improvements in the current competitive environment and without the assumption of any significant changes to our current portfolio of business. End quote. In, in other words, this isn't some pie-in-the-sky forecast. It's based on Uber's ability to help itself. He kept hammering home the point that Uber's not just pursuing growth. It's pursuing profitable growth. Listen to this, quote, While we've already started demonstrating strong profitability improvements, we view 2020 as a truly transformational year, beyond which we believe we will merge with stabilized gross bookings and revenue growth, continue to focus on leveraging our cost basis, and a positive EBITDA, end quote. Uber will no longer chase what he calls, quote, Bookings that are essentially empty calories I cheer, but I heard that meaning unprofitable rides or deliveries. Then Dow rolled out what might have been considered mixed or even disappointing guidance if the company was still focused on growth at any cost, like you were supposed to last year at this time. The 2020 gross bookings and adjusted net revenue projections were both substantially weaker than expected. Now, I thought that was going to kill it. If you're hearing him talk so much about profitable growth, Wall Street loved these numbers because the profitability figures were off the charts off of those sales. Uber's forecasting an EBITDA loss of $1. 45 to $1.25 billion whoa, this year. Much better than $1.72 billion, 1.72 billion loss, the analysts were looking for. Uh, this is the tangible evidence that the company is sacrificing growth. You know, and those empty calories on the order of profits. And that's exactly what this market wants to see. No wonder the stock rallied nearly 10% on an ugly tape on Friday. I thought it would go up again today. I I think this may be a gift for you. Just listen to what Dara kusma told our own Andrew Ross Sorkin in a fabulous interview on Squawk Box.
2: If you look at our plan for 2020, for every dollar of revenue growth, especially from Q4 to Q4, we expect to drop 50 cents to 55 cents to the bottom line. We think that's absolutely doable to get to profitability by Q4, but at the same time make the kinds of investments that we want to make to keep a high growth rate for many years.
3: That's incredibly reassuring from, frankly, someone who is completely bankable, whom I respect a great deal. Of course, Uber's not perfect. They're in a constant war against local regulators who tend to favor the interests of local cab companies. We've got Tony West, General Counsel, in there fighting for you in those cases, though, and he's terrific. They didn't say much about Uber Freight, which I wanted to. That's their effort to rationalize the trucking industry. I think it's working. And I'm still worried about the delivery space where you have companies like Postmates and DoorDash that don't care if they lose money because they have deep pocketed venture capital backers who operate off the same revenue growth at all Cost playbook that is so out of style. Witness Casper breaking 10 today. But at $40, this one is worth it. Remember, this thing came public last spring at $45, and it was a much worse company back then. The bottom line after that phenomenal quarter, and it was phenomenal last Thursday, Uber's clearly gotten this act together. I'm betting this stock can sail past $45. It is no longer just a taxi service. And I think it can keep climbing as long as management can hit the profitability targets they laid out last week. And I believe in their ability to make the numbers. Because in Dara we trust. Roy in California. Roy.
4: Jimmy Chill. Oh, i be the Roy chill man. From San Diego, California. Mm-mm. What's hey, up? Do you, uh, to, uh, wanna wish you a happy birthday. Thank you. And it's all and it's also my mom's birthday too, so I gotta call oh, right Oh
3: well that's a, that's nice.
4: Happy birthday to her. Thank you. Appreciate that. And it's uh, internal well, calls. Birthday. One. It's Stephanie Link's
3: birthday. This is some. This is a real great day. So it's so oh Bob God. Iger's birthday. Okay.
4: Damn. All, all the real ones were it, born today. All right. So today, uh, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, one of my favorite secular trends to invest in is the proliferation of disruptive software and technology companies. You know, some of my um, biggest winners have been with companies like Shopify and Alterix. Oh my so God! Those ad-
3: good companies.
4: Yeah, okay. we're obviously seeing the growth of e-commerce. We've also got the uh, Internet of Things. We've got the 5G rollout, the growth of FinTech, all these different you know, sectors are pretty hot right now, right? Right. So with that being said, you know, I feel like the importance of cybersecurity really should be at the top of every CEO's mind today, not only to protect their own company's data, but also their customers. Okay. And I know that um, cybersecurity pretty competitive space, Yes, right?
3: it is. And we also have China out there making it, making it demand, demanding that we have it, with is the Equifax. So how can I help?
4: Exactly. So we'd love to get your perspective today about CrowdStrike. Best one of breed. Two-
3: CrowdStrike is best of breed. CRWD, I say buy it. I think it's terrific. I really like it. That's a good one. Speaking of good ones, I like the stock of Uber. And let's not forget Uber's gotten its act together. There is a big block, according to Bloomberg, that's out there of about 6 billion shares. Might be a great opportunity, okay? Now, uh, I think it will hit its targets, and therefore the stock can keep climbing through its $45 price where it came public. Much more mad money, including how an announcement from Georgetown. The university has colored my view of fossil fuels. Then Bernie Sanders could be China's worst economic nightmare. Although no one's thinking about that. I am. I'll explain. In the way it calls Robin Farr tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. past few days in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown University's Parents Weekend, I've got some important news. I'm not talking about the Hoyas thrilling come from behind victory over the DePaul University Blue Demons on Saturday. Although that was a terrific contest. I'm talking about fossil fuels. Last Thursday, Georgetown's president announced that the university would be divesting from fossil fuel investments over the course of the next decade. You want to know why I think oil and gas stocks are bad long-term investments? Well, this is a huge part of it, although crucially, I wouldn't sell them exactly at this moment. Jeez, they just got crushed today. I expect the whole energy complex to get a major boost later this year, and that's when you should sell. More on that in a minute. Why unload the oil and gas stocks into strength later this year? Because it's not only Georgetown. Just the day before, the faculty at Harvard, my alma mater, voted overwhelmingly to demand that the universities endow and pull out of fossil fuels. These stories just keep coming up. It feels like the college investment movement is now turning to real groundswell. And once these things take off, well, you know, they can have a life of their own. They can have a major impact. It's not only universities. Remember last month, BlackRock, one of the largest asset managers on Earth, very publicly embraced sustainability and said they'd make it a significant part of their investment decisions? Microsoft's going carbon negative by 2030. Remember when went out there and did that show? This stuff matters people. Look, I know I upset a lot of people, particularly the oil and gas people obviously a week and a half ago, when I told Becky Quick that oil stocks were in the death knell phase, and, and that they reminded me of the tobacco stocks when they got uninvestable. But this is not about me, and it's not about you either. When you pick stocks, you need to game out where big money managers are going to put their capital. These days, more and more funds, including huge university endowments, are earmarking their money for ESG purposes. That's environment, sustainability, and corporate governance. That said, even though they're not investable, I do think the oils are, for the moment, and I don't like them, tradable. If it starts to look like President Trump's the prohibitive favorite at any point going to the election, the whole fossil fuel complex should give you a major bounce. Republicans love fossil fuels. You get a few polls that make it look like the GOP's poised to take back the House of Representatives, and I bet the energy sector could roar from these levels. So I'm not saying that this is the bottom, I am saying there could be a tradable rally. And that's why we're still hanging on to BP for my travel trust, which you can follow on by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Believe me, I don't want to own it, but I sense it can rally. down big on it. With this red-hot economy giving President Trump a boost, I'm betting we'll have a better chance to sell than today, with West Texas Intermediate crude breaking down below 50 So that's an important caveat. As I predicted, the oils have been hammered here and anything can dead cat bounce, including these stocks. However, once these stocks do bounce, listen to me, you got to sell, you got to sell them in strength because long term, I believe the whole fossil fuel complex is a lot of trouble and can't be owned. You simply cannot make good money owning them long term because it's very difficult for a fossil fuel company to go carbon neutral. I can't even imagine how many trees would have to go plant in order to become carbon neutral. Again, this is not political. It's about the mechanics of money management. Let me explain. Georgetown says they're going to cease new investments in fossil fuel companies and sell off their current holdings in fossil fuel stocks over the next five years. Georgetown is only the second major university to make this commitment, right behind the University of California system. Why does that matter? Because it's coming from the students. At Georgetown, they conducted a year-long review process in response to student pressure. Although I have to believe that the, the poor performance of energy stocks in recent years made this a much easier call. Well, Georgetown only has $1.8 billion uh, endowment, roughly the 60th largest. They'd be on the bubble team in the March Madison endowments. The point is that students and faculty are pushing for the same thing pretty much everywhere. You're just seeing the manifestation right now in Georgetown. You know who's the number one seat of endowments? It's Harvard. Harvard, which had nearly $40 billion under management as of last year. Last week, Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences voted in favor of divestment, 179 to 20 And the university president said it's under consideration. The faculty thinks that investing in fossil fuels makes them look bad. They're probably right. Kids these days take climate change very seriously. Alumni who donate money to Harvard take it seriously. The faculty doesn't control the portfolio, but they have a very loud voice. Even if you think climate change is a hoax, you got to admit that it's a successful hoax. A lot of people believe it, a real problem, especially for uh, people at universities. That's why I expect more and more schools to get on board for divestiture bandwagon, and that's going to push these stocks down long term. For example, late last month, Penn announced they would no longer invest in the dirtiest types of energy, thermal coal or oil from tar sands. That's what Georgetown did two years before. They decided to fully divest from fossil fuels. Six months ago, the University of California system announced that it's divesting from fossil fuels, but they didn't do it to placate environmentalists. As their chief investment officer explained at the time, quote, we believe hanging on to fossil fuel assets is a financial risk. That's why we will have made our $13.4 billion endowment fossil free as of the end of this month and why our $70 billion pension plan will soon be that way as well, end quote. Hey, they have a point. Since the University of California made that investment, that announcement about investing in mid-September, the Energy Select SPDR or spider ETF, the XLE, is down 11%, while the S&P 500 is up 11%. The Dow's up 8%. NASDAQ up 17 The group's a dog. It's been a dog for years. People realize the fleas ain't going away. The problem is very simple. The oil and gas industry is a victim of its own success. Thanks to the shale revolution, we're sitting on massive quantities of oil and gas here in the United States. There's a ton of capacity that's going unused because it's just not profitable with the price of oil uh, under $50 a barrel. Every time the price ticks up, producers open the spigot, prices go right back down. And natural gas is even worse shaped. Those prices are at the lowest level in four years. That's why the earnings in this group have been so disappointing. It's why oil service plays like Core Labs, that's a good company, have slashed their dividends. And I expect to see a ton of MLP and Nat Gas companies do the exact same thing in the near future. There will be many bankruptcies if Nat Gas doesn't rally. And we're almost out of the winter when the when this darn commodity spikes. Again, to celebrate right here, I don't know. Let it bounce. I think the oils will bounce hard because later this year, well, people can't resist those big yields. Uh, even if some are unsafe, when they rebound, that's when you've got to bail. Who am I to make this call? Okay, listen. Back in 1983, when I was at Harvard Law, the school was heavily invested in companies that were doing lots of business in apartheid South Africa. I argued to the administration that it was just immoral to invest in South Africa. But not only that, it was also bad business, bad for our endowment. In the end, Harvard partially divested from South Africa, and the investment movement put enormous pressure on the heinous apartheid regime to hold free elections. I'd like to think I played a role in that decision, but I don't think I was alone in recognizing these stocks as terrible investments we're selling anyway. We saw the same thing with Big Tobacco in the 90s when they became at-risk investments. I think we're now seeing it with fossil fuels. It's one thing to own oil companies when their stocks are going up. But when they're going down, it's easy to take a principled stand against pollution when the polluters are also wrecking your portfolio, which they will. The bottom line, among the growing investment movement, the lousy fundamentals, and the possibility of some big regulatory hits down the road, it's too hard to invest in fossil fuels anymore. I'm betting you could have a good trade out of the group if President Trump's numbers keep ticking up. Once that happens... Hey, you need to sell and sell into whatever strength you can get and be finished with this group as an investing class. That money's back into the break.
4: Happy birthday from everybody. Happy birthday to you. All right. Well,
3: it is... Yep, my birthday. And it is time. It's time for the lightning round the best round one of the sits in my out. The and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, ski day, for a special Kramer birthday addition the lightning round? Let's to Doug and about a dog.
4: Hey Jim, thanks for taking the call. Happy birthday. Oh I'm thank you, of adding... Doug. Dud to my portfolio. B U D your thoughts.
3: You know, it actually is not bad. I mean it's better than it used to be and it's got it gives you some good income. If you really do like the beer business, I suggest constellation, if only just because I think it's making a big comeback. Let's go to David in Virginia. David.
4: Hi, Jim. Happy birthday. Thank you. I was wondering what your opinion of MSA uh, I is. I have liked this stock. Ohio I gave a speech Ohio. for the deal economy five
3: years ago. said I can't up. It was about 50 then. I can't believe some major company hasn't bought it. I stick by it. They make the best product there is. Let's go to UP in North Carolina. UP! Hey,
4: Jim. Uh, first of all, very, very happy birthday to oh, you. Oh,
3: thank you, UP. Thank you very much.
4: Oh, <laughs> I. Right. So, I have a question about Ollie's bargain outlet, the symbol Ollie.
3: Yes, uh, there was an import- there was a very sad uh, man, a sad death, uh, um, Mr. Butler, who ran the company, and it, it's. I just think he was, in many ways, the company. I know he wouldn't want me to say that, but I think in many ways he was the company, and I've not been recommending it since he passed. Let's go to Alex in California, Alex.
4: Hello, booyah, and happy birthday, Jimmy. Oh,
3: my, wow, these well-wishers are too much. Thank you. What's up?
4: I'm uh, curious of uh, the recent purchase of a Habit. I want to know if it's a buy, a sell, or a hold for young brands. Um, y- that was U-M. a very
3: bad Pizza Hut quarter. The stock reversed badly after when I went over the conference call. I did not get encouraged at all that there's going to be a turn anytime soon. Let's go to Mark in California. Mark.
4: Happy birthday, Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Mark. Thank you. Well, I, well as I'm sure you know, uh, here in California, the electric utility has been shutting off the power grids preemptively due to fire danger. It affects a lot of homes and businesses, often for days at a time. Okay. And I live in the mountains, so I, so I bought an emergency backup generator from Generac. And after talking to the installer, I also bought the stock.
3: I think you're right to 30. do that. I felt that I I am again like you in an area where the power goes out way too frequently. And debated doing it getting a generator myself. And all I hear when I do my work on it is, is that the demand because of the grid in this country is so poor is high. I wish we would fix the the grid in the minimum in the interim you buy that one. How about we go to guy in New York guy? Happy birthday, Dr. Kramer. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you.
4: I got a question. I own both Raytheon and United Technology. I'd like to know... How the reported merger of these two stocks is going to affect their individual share price. Well, prices. you're going to
3: end up owning a company that is combined, and it's great. I don't want you to, you know, this is one where you, you got to own it. You got to own it. You're going to get this combined institution, and it's going to be unbelievable. And I think it's going to be the best other than, candidly, I still like that combination of L3 and Harris. That's my fave. I need to go to Mike in Florida. Mike.
4: Jim Kramer. Mike. I to start with Happy Birthday, my Thank friend. Thank you. Booyah! Booyah! I actually am interested in talking about BPE Callan Petroleum.
3: Yeah, well, you know this is one that makes me say that fossil fuels are no go. That is exactly why Callan, you can't touch it. I'm very sorry. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. Happy birthday from everybody. It's the wrong way! You have the numbers backwards! Who set
4: this up?
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
4: Hi, Jim. Watch your program every day. I love it. You are currently coaching three generations of my family. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. I'm
3: here with my son, Jonathan, who's nine years old and loves your show. I love
4: your show. I love it
3: when kids are involved.
4: Yeah, thanks for everything you do for us. I wanted to thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us.
3: We're going to get through this together. We're going to be constructive. We're not going to be pessimistic. We're going to be realistic. We believe in diversification, and the S&P Index Fund is still the best single diversification. Method ever invented. Our world is a better place with you in it. We thank you for all you do. It's been a rough few weeks for China. There's the coronavirus outbreak. It's been a public health nightmare. It's been an economic catastrophe, too. The communist government is in crisis, and it's only going to get worse when New Hampshire holds its first-in-the-nation primary tomorrow. Why? Because the polls suggest that Bernie Sanders will win the Granite State tomorrow. And unlike 2016, when he had no chance of beating Hillary, this time the moderate side of the Democratic Party is fragmented, although, of course, Mayor Pete is doing better in the polls today. And when it comes to China, Bernie Sanders makes President Trump look like a dove. Yet we could be headed for an election where both major party nominees want to balance the scales with the People's Republic. Trump's tariffs brought the Chinese to the table for a phase one trade deal that opened the door for U.S. companies that want to compete fairly over there. If you read the 100 page agreement, you'll see many opportunities for businesses that could help balance our trade deficit. And so far, it's looking like the Chinese are sticking to the deal. But as hard as Trump's been on China, oh boy, Sanders is a lot more harsh, even though no one talks about it. This is a guy who's consistently opposed... Every trade agreement with China for years now. He knows the Chinese government has targeted many industries here, destroying millions of jobs. He makes a point of bringing it up constantly as he sees that these deals were about selling out the American workers on the order of the almighty dollar by our large industrial companies. Yet Bernie Sanders could be China's worst economic nightmare. It's not just trade either. You might expect a self professed socialist, he says, that's what he is, a self-professed socialist, to be soft on a communist regime. But if anything, he's a hardliner on China's human rights abuses much harder than Trump. Listen to this, quote, China's engaged in a program of mass internment and cultural genocide against the Uyghurs. End quote. That's not what the PRC wants to hear, although it's true. He also wants to support the people of Hong Kong against the repressive Communist Party. Oh, boy, do they hate that. In other words, when it comes to trade with China, Bernie's more of a hard than Trump, and on human rights, he's much, much, much more aggressive. I know it seems odd when President Trump calls Xi Jinping a great friend, but he's been uh, much tougher on China than his predecessors. If Sanders gets the Democratic nomination, then regardless of who wins the general election, the PRC could have a very rough time. China was really... Uh, Banking, I think, to some degree, won Joe Biden. They wanted his victory. It seemed natural. But after his poor performance in Iowa, that's looking increasingly unlikely. If Sanders picks up the nomination, bizarre as it sounds, the Chinese Communist Party may end up praying for a Trump victory come November. After the coronavirus debacle, it's getting harder to imagine President Xi surviving a Sanders administration. Who the heck could have foreseen that Trump would be the softie? Certainly not Xi. But after tomorrow it might be self-evident. Stick with Craig. Tonight, of all-new American greed. She calls herself a financial mythbuster, but one woman's feeding investors financial fairy tales. But when suspicions rise, she conjures the supernatural to silence her investigators. Don't miss it. 10 o'clock on CNBC. I want to thank so many well-wishers today. Marie, thank you for these fabulous cookies. I've got to tell you, everyone weighed in. You know, my sister, my wife, of course, my kids. But you know what, Kramer, when you guys weigh in, you just make me feel terrific about being this age. I got a lot more in store for you. I ain't going anywhere. All right, stay right here, because you don't want to miss the CNBC special report on the coronavirus outbreak. It's hosted by my friend Scott Wapner coming up next. These are great reports, guys. Like I said, there's always a one-working summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The CNBC report begins now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.